Welcome everyone to this episode of Church in the Wild. I have an amazing guest with me today. I have Nelly Atiga. Did I say the name right? Uh, with the Atiga, it's, 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 it's is there an N in there? Atiga. Well, uh, in, in the Samoan language, because I'm of Samoan ethnicity. The G is actually pronounced NG. Yeah. Oh, so, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at all these cultural lessons we're already <laughs> learning, and we're like 15 seconds into the podcast already. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Samoan thing because generally with the other Pacific Islands, you do put the N in there. But yeah, for whatever reason, Samoans decided to unsilent the G and put and, and it's pronounced NG. So. Now, I would never argue with a Samoan. So <laughs> that's a, that's a, that works just fine for me. But uh, Nelly is a pastor currently in Brisbane, Australia. That's right. Um, but he's a native of New Zealand. Um, obviously, of Samoan descent, like he just spoke of. And then spent how many years were you in Singapore? I was there for eight years. So he's been a little bit over the whole kind of southeast Pacific sort of area and region. Yeah. Uh, an amazing guy. We're actually sitting together in Hawaii right now, where we've both been uh, part of the Every Nation Student Conference here. That's right. Uh, just outside of Honolulu. And uh, so Nelly's just been grinding, man. He's been leading worship, preaching all weekend long. And, uh, and then we just forced him to take a very long hike just yesterday <laughs> on his day off. Um, so this man deserves a solid day of rest, but I had to have a conversation with him because this is an incredible leader. We've spent some time together now because we yes. rendezvoused here in Hawaii for the last few years, <laughs> and it's just been a true joy to get to know him, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with him. Yeah. Right. So Nelly, welcome to Church in the Wild, man. Thank you. I'm glad to be in the wild with the church. That's where we should be, right? <laughs> yeah, buddy. Well, it was definitely wild yesterday. We climbed up a mountain peak here yep. uh, in Hawaii, and it was a little bit crazy. It was, but we were, we were sold that it was going to be super sweet and yeah. not too bad. Yeah. And it was pretty intense. It was intense. It was intense. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but I, we had some incredible views and some incredible times together. Yep. Um, Nelly, for our audience, um, is there a little bit of background you can just give us to yourself, just kind of family situation, wife, kids, and current ministry, and then we'll dive into your, into your history. Sure. Sure. So excuse the husk. Cause like, like Seth was saying, you know, we've been grinding, but, um, yeah, born and raised in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, uh, was there for you know most of my life up until I moved to Singapore. So uh, grew up there. Grew up as a pastor's kid. Um, grew up a lot around music, so that plays into a lot of what I do. And um, have been um, in ministry for the last uh, nineteen years. So since two thousand in full time ministry. Uh, but I moved to Singapore in um, the, what year was that? 2000, 2000 and geez, I've forgotten. 2000, 2006. Sorry. Yeah. I got married in 2006, married Tina. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we now have three children, um, Nazareth, Zion and Jordan who are Nazareth, Zion and yeah, Jordan. All biblical place. Names. Oh my goodness. Those are strong names. We figured Jesus started in Nazareth. So we'll, we'll start there. And uh, my son Zion, and then my youngest is is Jordan, and uh, we moved to Australia from Singapore. I was I was doing um, I was pastoring there as well as uh, involved in in music, uh, the music ministry of our our uh, our church there. And then I moved to Brisbane, Australia, where I took over our Every Nation Church there back in 2014. So I've been there for almost five years. Five years, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Nelly, you're a guy that is um, 
whenever you lead worship, there's just a particular, you know, gifting that you bring to that moment that's quite spectacular. Obviously, it's why you come all the way from Australia out here to Hawaii to, to help with the student conference. And I know when you're here, you're not just leading worship, but really helping to equip and empower mm-hmm. um, the leaders who are here, the student leaders that are here and so forth. And uh, I've watched you do this just time and time again. There's just a natural grace in your life. And I know it's also been birthed out of not just natural gifting, but a lot of formation that God has done in your life. Right. Uh, certainly a lot of practice that you've had over the years. And so I'm very curious to dive into that aspect of your story because right. before you became a Christian, music was already a pretty big deal in your life. Can you That's tell right. us about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I grew up around music. Um, like most Polynesian and Asian uh, children, we were forced to do piano lessons since the age of mm. five. So I got forced into... Polynesians are forced to do piano yeah, lessons. Yeah, we are too. You can go... Well, again, I don't want to stereotype my people. but That's like, stereotype, uh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's either sports or music, and you're lucky if you can get both. Um, I did a little bit of sports, but found music as my wheelhouse. And um, yeah, I did classical piano all the way up until early high school then hit puberty and found out you know no one was checking for a classical pianist at the time. <laughs> so I left that aspect of music stopped playing um yeah piano as such but I really got into hip-hop um around the age of 12 um started started really getting into um just rap music through um older cousins of mine who were who were into the scene uh, in New Zealand at the time. Yeah, what is the hip hop scene in New Zealand looking like? You know, back it's, then it's pretty influential. At least in New Zealand, Australia, still to this day, it def- it's like the little brother that influences a lot of the hip hop that comes out of Australia. But mm-hmm. um, it's it's similar to you know like what you'll find in a lot of um, a lot of places where hip hop thrives. Um, it's always about the struggle amongst those who you know are are walking through particular struggles that people can resonate with so mm. um we had a, we have our own uh things that we're dealing with and a lot of the music was birthed out of that but you know i got into hip-hop listening to real i mean it's old school it's almost prehistoric but listening to people like run dmc come and, on baby yeah and then and then getting into like the golden age of hip-hop which is where i really got into hip-hop and then so were um, you in east coast or west coast oh definitely east okay definitely all east. right Nice. Yeah, so all of that stuff that came out of New York. But I was re- really into like more the nerdy stuff, like uh, like your De La Soul, your Tribe Called Quest. Come on, all, all, of, all of that sort of stuff. Um, all the more lyrical, not mm-hmm. saying the other stuff's not, but like less image conscious and more uh, lyrical content. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I started emceeing probably around 14 as well. Um, just started now, when you say you started emceeing for yeah. our audience that could be all over the map out here, what exactly does that okay. entail? I started rapping, <laughs> <laughs> but like taking it seriously. Sure. Um, yeah, I started like writing and then, um, cause I had cousins that were into like DJing and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd start rapping at like, um, parties and that sort of stuff while they'll DJ and, and um, it's, it's quite vibrant. And if, you, if you're familiar with hip hop, there's what they call the four, sometimes five elements. So that's um, breaking or b-boying. So break dancing. Mm-hmm. There's graph writing or graffiti. Mm-hmm. There's DJing. And then there's MCing, which is the rapping. The, the fifth one that gets included from time to time is beatboxing. 
which is where you make drum noises with your mouth. Right. If you can't afford the DJ gear, you just get that guy to come out. Right, right, <laughs> it's right. It's like poor man's DJing. Yeah, and sometimes it sounds almost just as good if they're if they're good at it, you know. Yeah, yeah, it does, it does. So we had a lot of that sort of that sort of vibrancy happening at the time. A lot of well, in particularly the dancing, the DJing, and the the rapping. Mm-hmm. And so I found my wheelhouse in rapping, and I think, um, yeah, I think that kind of became a passion of mine uh, and a form of self-expression that really helped me through a lot of times as a teenager that you would go through as a teenager. I was a, you know, my dad was a pastor at the time. He's okay. since um, passed on and gone to uh, be the Lord. But, um, you know, growing up as a pastor's kid, you're always put on a pedestal. And um, and it was never my parents' intent, but like um, there were all sorts of kind of pressures that were put on us as as children and then um that would come to a head so then eventually i'd end up finding ways to kind of party but not but try and maintain this reputation as a as a pastor's kid so sort of try to appease mm-hmm. both sides of the the equation um trying to play both sides of the fence a little yeah, bit. yeah 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 so that was a, a lot of that journey um but yeah, then DJing became quite quite big in my my life, where I started to you know like produce my own music. Start, I bought my own turntables. So that I left I left high school, um, and my parents made me promise I had to do a year of Bible college and a degree, and then I could do whatever I wanted. So I had no idea what I wanted to do at the time. I actually wanted to go into music, so I thought, you know what, let me get this theology yeah. Bible stuff out of the way. I sure. I did a degree in 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 theology at the Auckland at, at the University of Auckland in New Zealand, uh, and wasn't really following Jesus mm-hmm. um, at the time. But um, I always joke with people because I went into the insurance industry to fund my vinyl habit to go and buy records and stuff mm. straight after doing theology. So I, I I tell people that I studied the truth and then. A, went to work for a bunch of liars <laughs> but it was it was like that you know those movies back in the 80s that introduced them as like insurance agent by day dj by night that was kind of like my thing i went and studied um like audio engineering did some courses and okay. that sort of stuff to learn how to produce my own music and that but um nothing really was popping off and i started seeing uh, all of my friends mm-hmm. that were involved in music like they'd move to australia or they go and try and make it big or make a career out of it and for whatever reason when i try to do that it would, it would never um quite you know quite um happen for me mm-hmm. um and i'm actually looking back in retrospect you know hindsight is 2020 but i see that as definitely a gift because i i can't imagine what my life would have been like had something happened with with that uh with the music that i was sure. trying to do sure um yeah but it wasn't until 1998 where i really found that you know music was not a great well the, the way i tell it is music is um it's a it's a great tool but it's a terrible god uh, yeah you know i i i would seek things out of music that i should only seek from god like fulfillment comfort provision 
like it was my primary source of all those things yeah. and when mm -hmm. things wouldn't work out. Even the whole thing of um, being able to um, see see people moved by what you do and then when it doesn't move them, you, you feel so empty and mm -hmm. void. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, yeah, it was in 1998 where the Lord found me in the middle of my mess trying to discover um, what it was that I was wanting to do with my music. And, and um, it was, it was kind of a, if, you know, for, for your listeners that are familiar with like, um, this, there's a story in the Bible about, um, this guy named, um, Zacchaeus who, when it was revealed that what he was doing was not right, mm -hmm. he wanted to make it right radically. Right. Um, that was kind of how the revelation of the Lordship of Jesus in my life was, it was, it was radical because I'd been around churchianity so to speak my whole life yeah and the revelation of he needs to be lord of every aspect of my life boss king i sold all my gear i got rid of wow. everything yeah. you know like thousands of dollars worth of equipment and and vinyl you know um because i was that radical I'd, i didn't want anything to do with music because i'd recognized in in that number of days that man there was this breach and, and i didn't have this relationship with god and i needed him to to fulfill me so and i've actually heard people tell similar stories before that their coming to jesus moment is so powerful and they feel like the way to distance themselves from their yeah. life of sin is to sell off whether it's their music or videos or whatever that yeah. thing was yep. and i've actually talked to a lot of people um that have done stuff like that, that in hindsight, they kind of regret it that, you know, right. so forth. But I actually asked you about that. Yep. And for you, there was no regrets about this. Like this was a very powerful yeah. thing for you. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, everyone has their own journey. That was mine. And I'm glad I did Seth. Cause like after that, um, I did the only thing I knew to do because I, I was like, I was saying I was working in the insurance industry and I thought, you know what? I have this bachelor's degree in theology. I want to know God deeper. I'm going to go and do my master's back at that same university. And that's where I met Ken Du, who was, you know, my, he became my pastor. Mm -hmm. And while we were there, as we used to, you know, he was, um, he ran, he had um, planted our, our church, our Every Nation Church in Auckland. And he ran it out of his, uh, what we call in New Zealand, a rumpus room. I don't know what you call it in the States, but, um, it's kind of like your, you know, your big room that everybody mm -hmm. kind of hangs out in, mm -hmm. not your living room. But um, yeah, so he ran the church out of that. And I remember just worshiping God, just singing um, out in the, as a part of the congregation in his, in his house. And there was a worship director at the time. His name was Kirk Henderson. He um, heard me just singing in the crowd and he said, hey, um, why don't you come in and, and sing with us um, next week and and so that was the beginning of the reignition of music mm -hmm. in my life mm -hmm. um where it was kind of rectified and what i learned from that experience was interesting because again i didn't played piano for years um I, i'd sung here and there but just not really i'd given music up right and and so he he, he taught me how to lead worship mm -hmm. basically mm -hmm. which is you know was just was such a great tool it was like a, a school in the deep end because within the matter of like 12 to 14 months he went and, and planted a church in in melbourne australia with a, a team and i was left with this worship um this worship ministry and i had to learn how to uh, 
sing and then had to learn, relearn how to play in that context. Because mm-hmm. the way I'd played before was not necessarily um, compatible with worship. Right. Then I had to learn the whole thing of uh, singing and playing at the same time. So kind of like that exercise you do where you rub your tummy in a circle and pat yeah. your head. Yes. It was kind of like that while trying to look at the congregation and trying to build a team. So you're trying to guide them. So there was, it was like a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Yeah. And I was fortunate to, to have the opportunity to be mentored early on by um, some prominent people who were in our movement of churches at the time. And um, so that deep end really helped. But I think what God had taught me at the, during that whole process up until now is that this is the purpose of music. It's always been about pointing people towards me, not pointing people towards yourself or as a source of fulfillment for you. So again, you know, like music is a terrible God, but it's a great tool to point yeah. people towards him. Yeah. Yeah. So. How much of your DJing sort of hip hop days, you know, yeah. was actually beneficial? Was there anything in that sort of time that yeah. kind of laid any sort of foundation or you found helpful or redemptive when you started leading worship? Tons, man. Yeah. Lots. Um, and I have to be careful too because it can be manipulation as well. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like uh, the way to kind of address that is like, you know, you look in the crowd. I I know I can read a crowd and kind of see, okay, there's the demographic. They'll gravitate towards this sort of song, mm. you know. So um, like say for instance, if it's a bunch of young teenagers that, you know, are wearing like, we, we, we don't call them wife beaters anymore. So you, you yes, know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. The white, uh, <laughs> the white, the white cheap tank top. You yeah. know, okay. we got a bunch of Tupac wannabes up in here. So I'll throw on some California love and then, yeah, <laughs> and then you have all these young guys that are from affluent backgrounds trying to act like, you know, we're throwing, up, life, throwing up the yeah. <laughs> times are hard yeah. uh, <laughs> with the, you know, throwing up the W's uh, and stuff, but Hey, and move them. Cause they, you know, resonate with, certain things that sure. Tupac might be saying or the frequencies of the music. Yeah. Or if it's older, you know, um, if it's older, more Anglo sort of crowd and, and you see a lot more of the female dominance, I might throw on some ABBA and then, you know, get them moving. Um, so, so you learn kind of, I guess, bringing that into um, worship. Now that I know that this is a tool to help minister and create an environment for people to encounter Jesus, it's, it's thinking about, okay, what of the lyrical content of what I have in my arsenal or what of uh, what tools I have in front of me, whether it's a keyboard or a guitar or just whatever I have, can I create an environment for them to encounter God or for them to, um, you know, be positioned to, to meet him or sing truth or, um, or have an encounter with the Holy Spirit where he can begin to. Um, so so in that sense, I, I'm using music, again, not as the objective, but to create an environment yeah. where they encounter Jesus. So that um, the, the creation of environment would be definitely something I learned from DJ. Um, and then the way that I lead worship, I'm always thinking about flow and mm. journey. Mm-hmm. So again, like when I, when I DJ, I'm thinking about my set list. I don't jump from a song that, like say is 130 beats per minute, which is really fast, and then jump down to something that's 60 beats per minute, which is really slow. 
Um, you're always thinking about the journey of, of feel and and even thematically. Mm-hmm. You don't jump from a song mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. warfare all the way down into peace and and, and um, intimacy with God. It's a sudden transition. So you think about all of those transitions. And then you're thinking about what God is trying to do in that moment, right? Like, is there a specific theme to what he's trying to um, address or he wants to address? So there's the, all this awareness that's happening at the same time, which, you know, I brought from my DJing period. Like, I'd, I'd read the crowd. I'd see what gear I have. I see what's available to me in my crate and then pull up out of my crate what I feel like. Now we use Serato, right? So we just carry laptops, which is good because I still have sore lower back from those crate <laughs> carrying days. Um, but that's that's a lot of the tools that I would use from the DJing days, like environment creation and then the whole flow and the journey of the set list. Yeah. Um, but, you know, keeping in mind that, again, the objective is to kind of create this environment, but... The difference is I'm moving out of the way so that they can, in worship, it's for them to engage with God rather than engage with my set list. So that's the, that's the subtle yet very important difference. There seems to be something pretty, pretty universal about worship and the way that it connects human beings and creates environments in a room and can move people yeah. on an emotional level. You know, And you're right in the terms of its broad impact as a tool, um, but there seems to be just this just very inherent connection to the idea of music and and worship or relationship or just kind of something that kind of weaves its way through all of us in a room and interconnects us somehow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it seems that that is a really powerful way to to that God is somehow used to redemptively kind of use as a training ground and redeem aspects of that to to yeah. inform the way that you lead worship. And when you do it really well, it seems pretty seamless. Yeah. It seems pretty just uh, like it's almost like it was just kind of this is just the way it's supposed to be but obviously there's a lot of forethought that was put into it yeah there is and it comes from uh years of you know just experiencing what works in certain settings um and and especially my own setting like starting you know we're sitting here in a living room that's attached to a kitchen sitting in moments like this where there's no one else around and then just thinking through um much like yourself when you speak, right? Like I noticed, Seth, you don't use notes because a lot of the messages you have are internalized through experiences and through your own dissecting of the scriptures. That's a lot of the way I lead worship as well. Um, You may have noticed I don't use charts in front of me because a lot of that has come from training my own ear to be able to hear the chords that are being played so that I don't need to use a chart because if I have a chart in front of me, those of you who don't know what a chart is, it's like either a, an iPad or a piece of paper that has like the chords on it. I that can easily detract from my eye contact of, with the congregation. Uh, you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. And it's already bad enough. I have my instrument in front of me, but I'm trying to break down barriers that so that I can connect with um, with with the people that are worshiping. Yeah, you know, whether it, it's a small room or or hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, this is that's the same idea when I don't use notes. Exactly. I find that that already in our current day and age, it's that much more difficult to connect with people via a stage in a place of authority, at least somewhat authority. And nobody's a super big fan of authority anymore, you know, even necessarily Christians. And anything that is as an object, whether it's notes or podium or anything that's separating you from the audience, is just one more degree I have to overcome in making a connection with them. And when they see me reading off a paper to them, they kind of know. So you prepared this 
not in my presence in order to just kind of talk at that's me. That's right. That's right. Um, but something happens, even if it's just, even if it's just a um, mental, you know, psychological and yeah. not actual, because certainly I have prepared something, you know, yeah. but where it's just me and them in a room and there's yeah. no notes and all I have with me oftentimes is, is a Bible that, yeah. that, that creates the moment where it's like, Hey, I'm not talking at you. I'm, yeah. cr- I'm creating as much of a moment that feels like yeah. we're having a conversation together. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking, I'm speaking to you, but in a way that is not somehow manufactured or artificial. You yeah, know? that's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. So same, same sort of idea. Yeah. Cause I, I've had to do that with speaking as well. And again, that's taken time, but it's the same heart. Yeah. Like you're saying, you know, like it's not the, the whole reason without, you know, for not using notes is you're trying to remove any barrier between right. yourself and the people. Yeah. Like you're saying in this postmodern generation where a lot of interaction with people is done off of the screen right you know? um uh it's it, yeah we're, we're trying to do that so that that's it's the same thing you know like even even for me to have a keyboard is sometimes a a little bit of a barrier so i find myself often trying to you kind of go back and forth yeah, back behind yeah, it and right. come out from it I, that's why you will have noticed that this conference that we just did i have my uh, my keyboard but i don't put it in the middle i put it off to the side so that i have room to kind of walk around and just try and help the band even to create that environment as well, but also to move forward. So there's little things that we do like to move as far front in the stage, not to be like overbearing and threatening, but to connect with the people because we're, we're trying to create this, this environment where we're all worshiping God together, yeah. you know, not, not you coming to spectate a, a show we're trying to put on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a big difference, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And speaking of connection, like I'm very curious about you because obviously you're a Samoan guy who grew up in New Zealand, who yeah. then who then serves a significant amount of time in Singapore, of all places, yeah. and now you're back in Australia, and you've led worship um, in, in environments and moments where the crowds are very diverse, right. um, coming literally from all over the world. Yeah. So I guess what have you learned? Because that's an incredible task, because music can be so culturally specific. Yes. Even worship music can be. Yeah. How do you how do you work with all the, that cultural diversity to try to bring a worship moment together on a musical level? It's a great question. I think um, one, of the, uh, one of my mentors used to use this passage translated by Eugene Peterson in the message in Acts where the comment was, um, strength is for service, not for status. And so, um, wow, yeah, so the strength that I have is not, you know, you know, a lot of us as creators can define ourselves around our creativity and this is who I am. So you just kind of have to deal with it. Um, but I can't bring that mentality into leading worship. So the objective is always to serve, you know, we want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. We, we need to serve. So I can't be too precious about my tastes. My, um, it doesn't mean I sell out for who I am, you know, of who I am because it's always going to flow out of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of the greatest lessons in moving to Singapore is that the genres of worship or music or style of worship that that they were doing in Singapore were very different to what I what I uh, naturally gravitate towards. So I was into and still am into a lot of like the the gospel influenced worship. So like Fred Hammond's a mm-hmm. huge influence on me. Guys like Israel. Israel is a mentor. Um, you know, they, they Israel Houghton is that how you say yeah. Houghton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, these guys, you know, a lot of uh, you know, if you if you're just looking at it at the bare surface, a lot of the music syncopated um, 
very harmonious uh, arrangements are all over the place. I go to Singapore and everybody's clapping on the one and three. So that, that for those of you who are not musically inclined, uh, most of the time when you walk into a um, any setting and you're told to clap to the music, you'll normally clap on the two and the four. So it would be one, two, three, four, one, two. But they would clap one, two, three, four. And they would open their hands up like, you know. <laughs> and the music was still stuck in um, like the... Uh, the, the 80s, you know, like in terms of For those of you that worship. couldn't see the visual, Nelly demonstrated something that looked slightly less than rhythmic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully you can hear it off this microphone. I was yeah, yeah. Tap it a little bit. But yeah, you can you hear can, it, but the, the visual yeah. was priceless. So I just wanted to share that. <laughs> so if you can imagine clapping and then opening your hands up yes. just to face the ceiling. Yeah, like your mom would do when she's just really into go. her, like, you know. Or, or while I'm DJing a set that she might be in, she might yeah. clap that same way. Yeah, when your mom's rocking her, rocking her uh, what, Rick Astley, you know, you know oh, see, back yes. in the day, you know, she's going for it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Rick Astley. I used to love Rick Astley. Yeah, so did, so did my mom. <laughs> um, yeah, so like um, moving into that sort of setting, like the worship was still, and, and is still, I think they, they hold that, that era quite precious. Um was it was around the early days of Hosanna, Hosanna Integrity. So, you know, guys like... Um, so, so again, these are... So, Hosanna Integrity, those are uh, labels? Those are yes, Christian, Christian worship, worship labels? labels that yeah. existed, yeah, yeah. In, the, yeah. In, the, in the 80s. And, and if you were around during that time, if you don't recognize those words, you sang all those songs pretty much. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So, and, and they were very straight-laced. The melodies were simple. And... Um, and it's not my not my wheelhouse. And again, I, I grew up in a, a, a Samoan church, so we weren't singing those songs at all. We were singing Samoan hymns. So I kind of came into um, contemporary worship much later. I think Hillsong um, at the time was was quite an influence as well. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot later than than a lot of the music that was being sung. So I had to learn um, how to be flexible to to serve the people so learning to get music and, and learn lyrics of songs like a plethora of of songs that i was completely unfamiliar with in order to serve the serve the congregation and then kind of help to bring them to today and um but but it wasn't naturally my wheelhouse i guess that's what i'm trying to say is like um it's not naturally where i would have uh, drawn from because i'm you know, I like things harmonious. So, but but they would find harmonies uh, either difficult or not or would not resonate. So they'd bring back things back to the bare melody of the song, the bare tune of the song, rather than adding all these other parts to it. Yeah. Um, and it helped me to understand the simplification of worship. You know, like um, because I liked my my worship um, style was at that time was really ornate real syncopated so beats that were not necessarily just one two three four it was just kind of all over the place mm -hmm. whereas um it would it would bring things back to i like the, i learned the power of stripping music down um just to the bare melody if it's a great song it should be able to be played with just a singular instrument and one person singing it um where it wasn't always that way um and so you learn you know like to use like a painter's um I guess um, to to use a painter as an example, it's like learning how to paint with different colors on the palette mm, rather mm -hmm. than blue all the time. Right. Um, and so, I, I think I I learned how to 
simplify when it's necessary, but get ornate or, you know, a bit more complicated if it needs to be. Yeah. Um, but it's whatever is required at the time to, yeah. to serve the people because uh, you, you're able to see where they connect more. And yeah. So, and then and that also comes from that DJing. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. I think worship leaders have one of the most difficult jobs in the church. I've heard one worship leader said that uh, when he's trying to help just instruct the church, he says, you're always welcome to your preferences, but not your prejudices. Wow, um, I like that. Yeah, it's not, John Owens, actually, I heard him say that. You Shout know, out, John. Yeah, you know John. John's amazing. So um, I think you guys are somehow, you know, distant cousins somehow. I feel like that's you guys. twin right there. That's right. You guys just embody so much of the same goodness. So, um, but I think that's, a, that's just such a thing because every time you walk into a moment, everyone does have that thing they personally resonate with right. when it comes to worship. Um, if, they, if they're at that point where they're even comfortable with musical worship yet. And, yeah. and it can really become a barrier where you know, there's right. a flavor of song that comes up and you can just watch people shut down if it's too gospel, you know, yeah. or if it's too him or if yeah. it's too old school or if it's too new school, if it's too loud. Um, and so that's a real chore to try to bring those people together to overcome overcome their prejudices and realize they can experience the presence of God. I was really curious about this because I, you know, I know there's an obvious tension between the diversity of worship music and engaging with the diversity of culture. Yeah. But it also seems, and you seem to be um, able to kind of hone in on this, there also seems to be songs that are written, um, not necessarily styles, but songs that are written that seem to have almost a transcendent universal connection. Yeah. Um, I remember my first kind of experience of this was, um, the church that I was going to in Corvallis is a very charismatic and upbeat, you know, right. kind of church. We're a very hill songy kind of church, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands sort of. Um, <laughs> And my wife came from a very conservative Baptist church oh, wow. uh, down in Eugene. And so that was a bit of a transition for her kind of coming sure. on board with me. I mean, they deeply love Jesus, you know, uh, down there, but, but things feel very different, especially with worship. Right. And I remember there was one Sunday where I went to our church and we sang, uh, shout to the Lord, you know? Right. And so that was a big song back in its day, you nice. know, and it always gets all the tingles going and, yep. and the hands raising and so forth. And it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, in the, in, in my charismatic church in Corvallis, you know, people would really just emotionally engage with it. And it was a very moving song. It was always kind of used as that closer song to yes. really grab you in. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then I remember going down to Eugene the very next week and, and my wife's church, they're singing sing hymns, a lot of older songs. It's a much older crowd. Right. And it's very uh, dry, you know, comparatively, at least it feels right, that way. Right. I mean, everyone's just standing very still, very almost somber and silent. Mm -hmm. And then uh, for the last song, they drop Shout to the Lord. Wow. And, uh, and all of a sudden, it's as if you experience the presence of God come in the room yeah. in the same way he was, you know, yeah. in the charismatic right. church the week before. And you actually saw a Baptist, like a few of them start lifting their hands. Really? Now they do the, the lifting the hands where they just bend at the elbow. You yeah, know what I mean? So right. the elbow's tucked into the hip. The holding TV position. The holding the TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. So it's not like arms like touched, you know, touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. scored kind of straight up in the air. Um, but totally. So I, it seemed powerful that that one song could resonate with two extremely different right. age demographics, cultural demographics, just even preference demographics, mm -hmm. um, even slightly different theological demographics, and it right. was having the same impact. So I guess what if you, from your vantage point, what creates that kind of a thing? Are there songs that in your mind really can do that transculturally? And are there any kind yeah. of master ingredients that you can kind of identify that make that happen? Uh, 
you can't deny the power of God breathing on a song. Yes. Um, yep. That ha- seems to be it. Yeah. It? No, it, it definitely is it. And I think, um, I think if you think about, uh, we were talking the other day about God birthing songs out of moments. You know, like I remember that that song comes came out. Sorry, um, it was birthed out of my nation of Australia, my nation that I'm in now. Um, you have many nations. You can claim. <laughs> I'm claiming Australia. <laughs> there now. you go. <laughs> Um, but I, you know, I remember singing that song in Singapore a lot because yeah. it's one of those songs that came out of that era and I'm there in like 15 years later and they're still singing shout to the Lord in an environment that doesn't have mountains that will bow down and seas that will roar. Every, the sea is really still and, and there's no mountains, just hills, but there's something like you're saying that resonates with the beauty of creation worshiping God, which is mm. the theme of the, of the song. Yeah. So there's certain themes that resonate um across the board so if you have a theme that that um that that resonates a theme from scripture that reflects who god is so it could be god's love it could be um you know god's um god god and the beauty of his creation uh the gospel definitely things like the cross um the these are all things that no matter where you go you can go into you know central africa or you can go to South Central Los Angeles, all of those things will always, will always resonate. Um, then there's things that culturally uh, are imbibed. Um, you know, I, I was joking with a bunch of worship leaders the other day, talking about how songs that come from more the suburban, uh, white environments talk about creation a lot more. Look at the stars, look at nature. Mm. Then you go to more urban environments, and it's all about man. I'm just glad I paid my bills on time because late in the midnight hour, God's here. You know, yes. Because um, they can't see the creation, they can't see the hills and the mountains and all of that. Um, but that sort of stuff kind of resonates a bit more locally. Um, so, but if you're talking about broadly, I think the broad sweeps are, are found in, in the themes. And then definitely like your melody should accentuate that. So you, you talk about shouts of the Lord. A lot of that is because the melodies are up and down and reflective of the beauty of the mountains and the, mm. you know, the vastness of, of creation. And, and the melodies sweep all over the place. Um, then they're not monotonous and the same. And so um, people are emotionally attached to how the melody moves them in accordance with what thematically is being sung. And that's why Shout to the Lord's a great song. And so you'll find songs like that. I mean, yeah, whole song's good at nature songs. Like even Oceans. Oceans is their biggest song, according to Brian Houston, when I was when I visited Hill Song, um, that they've ever had. Yeah. And it's the same thing. That that, that one, that song's about um, stepping out in faith, you know, like and trusting God, um, using that analogy of walking on the water. So a lot of um, water analogies allegories are used in that song water allegories are abundant in worship these yeah, days that's, it's right. Like, <laughs> that's right man. i'm working on a worship song called drip um, <laughs> but um yeah I, I think um people resonate with that because everybody you know the faith uh, uh the faith journey of a christian is is universal like every yeah. single one of us has to has had a moment where we've had to step out and walk on uh, on the water proverbially so we can identify with that and then a lot of the beauty of what resonates with it is is the song doesn't just simply say oh, I'm gonna walk walk by faith and not by sight, but it creates this beautiful, um, yeah, like sea metaphor that that people just resonate with the beauty of, and I think that's why God again breathes on that song and it and has resonated a lot with you know, at least over the last 
seven, eight years, however long it came out, just just um, with this generation. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm curious, what, uh, what do you feel like is, you know, your heart and passion of where you want to see worship music go today? Like, what contribution do you want to make to the realm of worship? And I guess where, kind of in your lens, do you see, man, here is the greatest need that I see today in worship and where we can really... Um, where we can really invest and see some some amazing things happen. Yeah, I th- I'd love to see more um, more songwriting happen out of churches um, mm. that are birthed out of local expressions, rather than just taking songs that come out of my nation or come out of your nation of the United States, and then just stenciling it onto. Um, what whatever is going sure. on because there's a so, giant commercial hits kind of deal yeah i think there's a place local. for that yeah. yeah for sure there's a place for <coughs> that me. i think there's a place for that but there's lots of gaps if you can if you can think about what god is doing in your local expression in koalas or my local expression in brisbane there's certain things that god's specifically speaking to if we can activate and train our 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 songwriters to to express that in a, in a way that is reflective of the heart of what God is doing locally. I think that's one area where I'd love to see a bit more empowerment. A lot of the barriers that I think the empowerment of sometimes creatives, at least in the conversations that I've had, wherever I go, there's a sense of a little bit of a misunderstanding sometimes or a devaluing of creativity sometimes from pastors who aren't naturally creatively bent Mm -hmm. to see that that's value added that rather that we go to ccli or song select see what the what's on the top 10 that kind of resonates with with our church and then and then sing that um and that's good again there's a place for that but i think if we can birth stuff um out of our that i mean those songs again the songs that god breathes on that that are, are used universally um, are birthed out of those moments. And yeah. I think, um, you know, I was just sharing with Seth about how I'm in a season two that I, I'm less concerned about the platform and being more, um, finding more enjoyment and walking along the creatives and anywhere I get to go and, and, and just being able to see if, if there are ways that I can help inspire or empower them to, to step out in that. And not thinking that it's about the just the platform of um, ministry that we get to do in, in like um, your worship services because we become so focused on the Sunday. But like for instance, I think um, it, we would find a lot of value if our creatives and our worship leaders and our songwriters spent a lot of time just being amongst the broken in our city and letting moments like that or try, trying to sense the heartbeat of God around that. Mm-hmm. And, and birthing what God what do you want me to do with this creativity that I have to to give them a song to sing to to be able to um, you know to, to be able to reflect who God is in my situation I'll give you an example I was in um we just sang the song at this conference called at all times you know based out of the Psalms um, when we wrote that song I actually wrote it with a couple of um, worship songwriters in the Philippines and one of my guys in Brisbane, we were in town in Manila. We decided to get together and um, I was talking to a bunch of missionaries. We were at um, the School of Empowerment in Manila 
and I was talking to a bunch of missionaries from different cities in Southeast Asia, just conversations that we're having. And I noticed a lot of them were f- feeling um, really drained, really um, de- depression was a factor. And one of the guys was was talking about suicidal thoughts and stuff because he felt so isolated. Mm. And so I remember pulling from those different conversations a, a common thread, a common theme, and felt like, man, what can I do to help give them an anthem to be able to declare um, that he's, God is still good and he's still worthy of my worship. Yeah, yeah. And that song was birthed out of that that moment. So it just uses the... Uh, so the verse says, um, in my weakest moments, in my darkest doubts, um, you're the God who hears me when I'm crying out for help. And it just and, and then the, the chorus is just the confession, I will bless the Lord, I will bless the Lord at all times. Because it's 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 declaring God st- you're still good, even though my situation's not so good. Yeah. Uh, you you're still awesome. Um so it's it's mo- it's things like that. You know, like Yeah. And and, sure. and even if, you know, it doesn't become the next shout to the Lord, who cares? I, I just No, it's, it has its place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's places in the mouths of these and I was able to talk to a couple of those missionaries and just say, Hey man, you know, not that I wrote the song for you, but I wrote the song as something that you can, you know, sing as yeah, a that's powerful. You know what I mean? So And even though those lyrics, I mean you can hear those lyrics and they're general enough to be applicable in almost any setting. That's they're it. birthed out of yeah. something very specific. Yeah. And so it resonates at a deeper level of meaning. That's right. Yeah, you know, in the process. I, I think that's really, really powerful. I think anytime you want to birth more creativity like that. Boy, there's so many ways you got to challenge the unique elements of it. I mean, to senior pastors, it, yes, it's just easier to plug and play, you know, the top 10 list, you know, and you're going to yeah. get a more immediate return on your, you know, yeah. time sort of thing because people are going to have heard the songs, they're going to more quickly connect with the songs. At least the odds are they will anyway. Right. Um, but to make room to allow your, your creatives in your church or the musically inclined people in your church to try and create, even if, uh, and that cause that's going to mean some stuff's not going to really hit. Some right. stuff's not going to really connect, but that's the creative process yeah. in valuing creativity and valuing the creatives in the church and empowering them and making sure they feel they have enough safety to fail so that they can actually create something great yeah. Yeah, is a really important part of it. That's right. That's yeah. Right. So I would just, I would just, I'm just even feeling challenged just even as a leader to make sure that there's, yeah. there's room among my people to take risks on things. Yeah. And sometimes it's really going to resonate and sometimes it won't, but that's the whole point. They need to have that space in order that the language that we use, even as we worship is not just canned out of Australia or out of some church in California, but that it is really a product of what God is speaking and breathing in our community. Yeah. And that's why, if I can speak to that, the, um, the question you asked, you know, was where do you see it going? I, I think we can easily jump on, like a, a genre or a theme. Um, but again, if we do do that, then people jump onto that rather than seeing things birthed out of their local expression because they, they'd rather uh, see, kind of read the projection of what all the big worship movements or bands are doing, you know, and then try to try to be ahead of the curve or on the curve right. rather than just being secure and how God has like, if, Obviously, skill and and um, technicality plays into that, and being mm-hmm. current with at least your ear for sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, rather than reading the trends, why don't you just birth something out of 
what God is doing, taking the sounds, taking all of that, and but just birthing it out of what God is doing in your in your house because um, you're gonna miss that. All of that that God has breathed on came out of that. So yeah, rather than trying to you know read the stock market of trends of where worship is going, uh, at, at least um, musically and all of that, um, it, it, it'd be good to take a little bit of just because like I, okay when i talk about hearing the sounds you know i'm in my mid-40s now and there's certain sounds like i was saying like hip-hop for instance has mm-hmm. transformed and changed so much this whole thing of mumble rap i <laughs> i i can understand now like i've had to sit with it and listen to it just to understand why they resonate with certain frequencies the, the hi-hat patterns and all of that, the triplet rappings, and all that, these noises. It's a lot more about the feel of the song and less about like lyrical content that, mm-hmm. that's dense, like the way that uh, the music that I grew up around. So I can't, you know, I know one of the phrases that old people start to say is they don't make whatever it is like they used to. Or they yeah. do but and, old people have been saying that in every generation. Yeah, that's right. And, but you're at a point of choice. Like I, of course they don't do music the way I prefer to, but if I'm going to serve this generation, I need to understand why certain bass frequencies, um, certain, um, patterns of chords and, and that sort of stuff resonates with this generation. So it's an entry point for them to be able to sing and declare the gospel. And I think when you can understand music as a tool, uh, to, uh, to create that environment, rather than being so precious about your era and yeah. your preference. Boy, that's a great word, Nelly. It's, yeah, it's it's so important. It's a great lesson that I've had. It, it keeps me it keeps me semi young, you yes. know, irrelevant. And that's yep. why I get invited with the raspiness of what I have left in <laughs> my mid forties to still do campus conferences. It's not because I'm that the and it's not on the other side of the spectrum that that uncle with the back, you know, turns no. his head around over the top style and no, just that ain't and goes, yo, yo, check it out. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, the fact that you said that with a little bit of an Aussie or New Zealand sort of <laughs> accent just adds that much more to it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, Nelly, I'm, I'm wondering as kind of, we, uh, as we wrap this up, I think there's, there's so many amazing things in here. Uh, this conversation could go on a long time and it's probably, could even warrant its own podcast at some point. I know that's yeah, cool. something you're thinking about, you know, yeah. doing which could add a ton of value to a lot of people. But I know for for most people that are listening to this, they're they're not worship leaders, but they're worshipers. Yes. Um, and I know, especially in my context, when we're reaching a very irreligious and unchurched environment, especially, right. sometimes it's the musical worship, worship piece of our collected gatherings that can be the hardest thing for people to, to eventually engage with, you know? So I guess what is your encouragement to the worshipers out there of the value of music and particularly when we come gather together as the church and worship, like what, what exhortation would you give to people to, to really engage beyond the awkwardness of it or just the, it's very different. Like nowhere else in the world do you really come and do exactly what we do when we come together and worship, singing together to God you know, exalting him. Yeah. What, what uh, encouragement you give to the value of musical worship? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's biblical. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> there you go. So if God said yep, it, we should go. do it. Um, that's a thing. Cause like, I, I, I remember telling one and talking about it in one seminar, um, that if God said, 
we should do spin classes together. And then we, you know, churches would be lined up with stationary bikes. Yeah. And we'd all ride bikes. But he, for whatever reason, he, according to Zephaniah, he loves to sing over us, but he also would love for us to sing. And so it's out of obedience to not just the scriptures, but to God himself that, and if you don't like music, you're probably not going to like heaven because apparently they do. <laughs> apparently that. there's a lot of it. Yeah, in there. yeah. Um, so there's that. And then I, I think part of it might be, you know, just the cultural distance of, um, you don't sing anywhere else if you're not a singer, mm-hmm. um, unless you do karaoke, you know, um, but there's no real place for it. But I think, worshiping jesus it's all about what he wants anyway mm. um and uh, that's we a good word we shouldn't we shouldn't necessarily um be too conscious of um what it sounds like i think um, if we can create environments as pastors um in our in our churches uh, you know like i have um I have people in my congregation that sing in the key of H, man. They're just, <laughs> just way off the... <laughs> way off the Tell you non-musical going. people, that is not a thing. That's right. It only goes up to G. <laughs> uh, they say H sounds like heaven. No, I say it sounds like the other place. But, um, <laughs> but you know, um, I think um, if we can create environments for them to just, even though they sing in that key, just mm-hmm. to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Yeah, there you go, you baby. Know, just make the, a joyful noise. Yeah, it's, it's noisy. So, like, I think if they're able to express their worship. Um, and again, that's on the pastor and the worship leadership to create that environment where people f- just feel safe to be able to bring their declaration. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's both ways. I think the congregation, if, we, if they're followers of Christ, should be ready to come in and lean in and mm-hmm. not feel like the first song, the jumpity jumpity song is the warm up. Or the coming in for his buddy, you know, put your coffee down and come into the auditorium. But like from that get go, if you've trained and taught from the scriptures, you know, to to create that that altar to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, then you know, uh, I prayerfully our churches will be ready to worship. I think what we created in the West and even in my nation of Australia is this really consumerist approach to. Yeah to worship yeah where it's all about again me my preferences whereas you know christianity's never been about us it's always been about you know like whatever you want god i'll i'll do mm. and um that people may not have that preference um but people may not have a preference to do that in my locale where we're close to some of the best beaches in the world people may not have the preference to even drive to church but yeah. christianity is all about you know what? Whatever God wants, I'm not. I'm not coming to church just for me. I'm coming primarily to offer my worship to the Lord. And if He says sing, I'll sing in the key of H. Whatever it takes. Yeah, whatever I got, I'll give it. Yeah. So and and it's on us as pastors to create that environment where they feel like, yeah, it's it's of value. What you have to bring is of value to God, and He loves it when we do adore Him in singing. So you know your music should. You should uh, you should train your musicians to consider that as well, to not make it about them as well, but to yeah. create this environment where it's outward and you're thinking about, okay, how can we draw draw this worship out of out of our people, uh, where they're leaning in, we're all leaning in together and offering this corporate, yeah, uh, unified sound towards God. 
And so it takes a while to build that culture. It does. Yeah, especially in the West, right? Urban West. It does. Well, yeah, especially where I'm at. It's, it's definitely a bit of a struggle. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things, once someone gets it, um, boy, it really is transformative. It's more powerful than you imagine. Yeah. And though I've appreciated some of the language that's been used maybe over the last several years just to reclaim the idea of worship as holistic, yeah. that it's our whole life lived to God, yeah. um, I think that we have to be careful that we don't dismiss that moment you know, unintentionally. That's right. Uh, because it's the only thing we do all together in unison you know, in worshiping of God. Yeah. Um, and that matters. Yeah. That really does matter. And so the way, um, there's so many things that God's going to do in your life that's going to involve a process and walking it out, you know, Monday through Saturday. But right. you just can't deny the reality of God's unique presence that comes during that moment of worship together. Yeah. And the heavy lifting that he can do in those moments, the breakthrough right. he can bring in those moments, um, and just the intimacy you can experience in those moments that though it may be available to you throughout the rest of the week, it may be more difficult to experience in that way right. the rest of the week. Right. And, uh, and so it's just taking advantage of that moment, That's I just right. think is just really critical. And once you've really tasted of the goodness of God in his community, yep. you know, in, in rhythm, singing to him, um, you'll, you'll quickly realize how much of a necessity it really is. That's right, man. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Nelly, I really appreciate your time. This is all amazing and we're going to have to do this again. Yeah, this I'll, is too much fun. Happy to. Be happy to. Thank you so much for, yeah, for having me on the podcast. I'm a big fan. I've been, I've been listening to it for a while. We've been listening to it for a while and I, uh, you know, like it, it's really, it's, I remember on a, an episode, I forget who it was. But a couple of episodes ago, you were talking about, um, you're talking with somebody about building that devotional lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It really challenged me um, to, you know, um, and they were talking about, just shout out to whoever this was, uh, talking about the importance of the word and prayer. Those two always mm-hmm. are, are spoken of, but the the idea of even worshiping God in song yourself mm. and then bringing that into the corporate setting challenged me to actually f- feel like, okay, I need to, bring this value to to my church as well as a response in their own time so that when they bring it into the corporate um, setting that they have a song to bring, you know, so... So your podcast is challenging me, man. Thanks, so, man. Appreciate that. Keep, keep All the going. way down under, man. It's That's a, right. We're reaching out. That's right. Excellent, man. Well, uh, Nelly, I really appreciate you. Really appreciate all that you're contributing um, to the environments that we get to share in together, to the movement that we're a part of together. And thank you for all your wisdom and your thoughts and leadership. And can't wait to see all that uh, all that you create in the years to come. That's going to be exciting. Oh, thank you.